0: Hello, blunders, and welcome, welcome to episode number eighty-five of Real Blend, a podcast that did not meet George Lucas. This oh, <laughs> what a dick move! <laughs> Sorry, Jake. Uh, we will explain the point of that <laughs> joke in a few minutes. Um, but before that, let's get into this week's show, and we will start with the fact that, due to extenuating circumstances and scheduling, that pulls us to all corners of the globe. We are down Kevin McCarthy uh, this week of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. BDK is on assignment, running around all over the place. Um, I'm not sure we can mention where he is, so I will not say that. But that means that I am only joined. Oh, I'm Sean O'Connell, by the way. (gasps) Managing managing director at Blend, And I'm joined by Mr. Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Hello, sir. How are you?
1: Doesn't it make you sad, Astro, that Kevin's not here?
0: It does. It makes me a little bit mad. Don't shake your head, Gabe. Someone had to do it. That movie is hella sad, Astra. <laughs> I had <have> no idea. <laughs> Makes you think how a lot about your dad, Astra. That film was going to be, and uh, we argued about the fact that I really did not like the narration track. Oh, I love the narration at all. It is way too pretentious. Yeah, it you're made a not pretentious movie feel kind of pretentious.
1: Do you feel that way about Apocalypse Now?
0: No, for some reason. I think because that's like the standard bearer. Like, like that's the one that did it, and so if it you're did chasing it, right. it yeah. Yeah, did it right. Uh, I don't know. For whatever reason, that just didn't work for me. You know, we we were talking about this. Going back
1: to Kevin, considering how crazy our schedules are, don't you find it nuts that we're able to, not to pat ourselves on the back, but that we're able to find a time when all four of us can do this at once a week for, for now, at this point, 85 weeks? I mean, it's weird doing it without Kevin, and it just made me think, like, I'm amazed that that doesn't happen more often. Like we all no. know what our schedules are throughout October and you're going to some really cool stuff that we can't talk about. Uh, I'm going to some really cool stuff that I can't talk about. Kevin's in some place right now that we can't talk about. <laughs> and I'm just amazed that that we don't more often have to do episodes with some of us missing.
0: Yeah, and not only that, I'm kind of surprised coupling that with the fact that we've been able to do as many together as we have. Like yeah. We did Toronto a bunch of times and we were together in LA. And so, yes, it's, it's a little bit amazing, but it speaks to the dedication to this show. Um Damn right. Dedication to the show uh, also comes in the form of people who listen not just to the show, but who follow us along on social. And I want to kick off with something where Harry Lichtman, who follows us on social media, uh, put this up there that I think is a perfect thing to start off with in a Jake and Sean episode. It says, since the Panthers play the Texans this upcoming Sunday, I feel like Sean O'Connell and Jake's take should make some sort of bet. Well, Harry, we agree with you. Well done. Well done. And this is actually a
1: perfect for for Kevin not being here because Sean and I are big sports people. We're big football people. We both do fantasy football. And Kevin is a big fan of a lot of things and has an encyclopedic knowledge (laughs) of many, 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 many things on this planet. But sports is not one of them. And and I think he has been annoyed at all of our exchanges about Antonio Brown over the past four (laughs) weeks with all the developments
0: which is like one of the biggest stories going on in this industry. Right. Uh, so we try to avoid it. But if you pay any close attention to our social feeds, uh, you'll know that Jake and I follow football very closely. And he's a, a ardent fan of all Houston's teams, primarily the Astros. But Primarily the Astros. Oh, God. Uh, October
1: Titans. is going to suck for, for you, man, because oh, I'm going to be obnoxious of, as uh, we Houston march talk. toward the World Series.
0: Well, and I am a diehard Carolina Panthers fan, and the Hornets to a certain extent, though I'm not sure that they qualify as a team anymore. Um, so we are going to place a bet, because this Sunday the Texans play the Panthers. And uh, just to keep things interesting, uh, we're going to place a bet that if... Well, now, now I'm looking through our text. Where did we have this that we had a... Uh, so I had an idea and you bet. had an idea. Yes. So, oh, I got it. I got it. Here yeah. we go. Okay. I was, I was in the wrong text chain. If... So here's how it goes down, and you guys can play along at home. It's almost like you're playing fantasy football, but from a real blend perspective. And you could go on the real blend uh, Twitter feed, and you can go on to Twitter, and you can talk smack to both of our teams, and especially during the game, that'll be a lot of fun too. Uh, if the Panthers lose for one week consistently, I will have to tweet the following daily from my account: "quote I was wrong, and Forrest Gump is actually a masterpiece." End quote. I will tweet that once a day, every single day for a week. However, if the Panthers win and Jake's Houston Texans lose, he has to tweet every day, once a day for an entire week, quote, I was wrong. Kill Bill definitely is two movies, end quote. Are we virtually shaking on this? We are virtually, yes. Virtually shaking. shaking it, on we're this we're right literally now. doing a handshaking motion. <laughs> and the bet... Has been placed. Now, oh. Jake wants to talk about the fact that um, we're we're picking up consistent followers on Twitter. Uh, and a lot of it's due to the fact that we teased uh, the Joaquin Phoenix interview. Now, that's not going to be this week. It's going to be next week. And actually, later on in this week's episode, we have a really great interview with Joe Dante, who came on the show to talk about the 35th anniversary of Gremlins. It's Ritz. a the- really fun interview. It is really fun and made us think about the fact that we need to be doing some more nostalgia stuff. But Jake, talk about the Twitter feed to the point where because we're picking up so many followers now on a regular basis, there's a ton of interactive uh, material going across the Twitter feed and and us interacting with people outside of the show, including things like the weekly poll and stuff like that.
1: Well, the craziest part is that... A lot of times I'll check, you know, I check my Twitter notifications a couple of times uh, the, uh, throughout the day just by nature of what we do for a living. And I'll be jump into the middle of this conversation that people are having that will be tagged in. I had no idea what's happening because it started six hours before and it wasn't really involving us to begin with but it all the blenders get involved and they get passionate next thing you know there are a hundred notifications coming out of it uh, and and yeah so that's a lot of fun people are arguing about things the uh, the blend games are really taking off but obviously with the polls that we're doing uh, which we're gonna start putting out every Friday I believe yeah yep. and uh, that that then yeah that in and of itself is getting people involved and it's funny you know we've talked about this uh, you know in the in weeks past how sort of the blender community is kind of turning into its own thing and sort of creating a life of its own where they don't really you know we're like we're like proud parents and like they're leaving the house like they don't really need us anymore to have these conversations we sort of put these these you know topics out there and then they just take it and run with it and they have meetups without even inviting us and they go off and do their own things and they're well
0: and this week's blend game too, in particular, the poster blend, Yeah, hashtag oh movie poster God. blend. I saw so many great contributions a lot from of, people yeah. who had amazing suggestions that actually made me rethink. Yeah. Oh yeah, I a landed lot of them. on one pretty early, right? Yeah. And, then, and then I started going through a cycle of like four or five that I was like, oh, maybe it's that instead. And then I saw a bunch of other people's suggestions. I was like, oh, wait, I, I might be way off. So. You
1: know, it's funny. I The one that I picked was my just go-to, like, it's got to be this. There's no question. It's absolutely this. But but I had a random poster in mind that was like this would be if my first one didn't exist, this random poster that no one even remembers would be like my backup, my runner, my number two. And then you posted it on Twitter, and oh, it was the episode Phantom Menace? one yeah. Phantom and his teaser. And yep. all it said doesn't it say like it just it's a picture of uh, little Anakin, Jake Lloyd standing in front of a wall, and yep. the shadow that he cast is of Darth Vader. And I think the tagline says like never look back or something like that. And it's, I just, it's the most chilling, forget the fact that it's tied to that movie, which it it is what it is. But that poster, if the movie had been as good as that poster, (laughs) my God, could you imagine? It's just, it's a beautiful, it's actually one of my favorite Star Wars posters, period.
0: Yeah, no, it's a great poster, definitely. Um, and I want to point out too uh, that with hashtag movie poster blend, Kevin did record uh, his choice, and I got to listen to his choice. And he has a really great story about something very specific that got conjured from from my own memory. And I'm glad that he brought it up. So we will have that later in the show. If people were tuning in this week to to listen to the Joaquin Phoenix interview, we will have that in its entirety. On October 4th, that's when that's gonna drop that episode. But you can also go over to Cinema Blend's YouTube page and you can listen to a a uh, brief answer that we pulled out of the full interview to give people a tease, and of course, uh, both Kevin and Jake have full interviews with Joaquin Phoenix from the TV Junket side of it on their respective pages. So make sure that you find them on YouTube. Um, getting to a review from this. Can we week talk now. really
1: quick? Can we mention who else we have, or are we saving that? Just or the the story of how we got a, a second person involved with joker we'll save it for next week i don't gabe even really says, want to uh, talk about gabe it
0: gabe says gabe says why don't we save it that's a good I'm, story i'm too. making the executive decision it's a really good story of how we got de niro to come on the show I mean, I'm, I'm just kidding <laughs> no, never mind. all right at the top it's of the 20 show, minutes of silence we've told you guys that we will read reviews if you leave them for us on our uh, itunes page or if you wanted to send them to us via email we're at realblend at cinemablend.com of course you can send them to us on social media there's various ways that you can get in touch in touch with us but this one comes from Rob Gregory who says uh, my go to and favorite podcast slash part of the week I first came across this podcast via Kevin as I live in the DC area and I listen to the junkies as I'm a big sports fan. I I found out about it since day one with awards blend through his Twitter feed. Kevin seems to be living the life that I wish I could have in an alternative life and listening to you guys talk is conversations I always crave to be a part of. Now we all sort of wish we were living Kevin's life in an alternative life, but someone did point out on social media that they fear that Kevin doesn't sleep. This is something that boggles my mind about Kevin, too, is that that dude is he's running on essentially Red Bull and uh, and Red Vines at this point. So I worry about him sometimes. So just think about that, Rob Gregory, when you're worrying about living Kevin's life. Um, As I'm a big sports fan, cinema is my other big passion. I'm named my son after Cameron Crowe and Paul Thomas Anderson. That's pretty dope. Uh, There's a plethora of sports podcasts, local and otherwise, to choose from. But although I've searched, I've never found another cinema podcast as good as yours or even close to it. Seeing your experiment or passion grow as well has been very cool to see. It would be very cool to have a DC area Blenders meet up sometime in the future. Thanks, Kevin, for introducing me to two other very cool down-to-earth movie lovers as well. Keep it up, guys, with an exclamation point. Well, so here's the thing. Like... We really do want to have a Washington, D.C. meetup, and I think at some point in the near future, we will get one together. But also, don't let it stop you from you guys just doing it on your own. If you wanted to reach out to other DC blenders, you know, via social media, tag them all somehow. And uh, you guys can communicate with each other. And then all you got to do is send us pictures. Like We kind of want to live vicariously when you guys all do decide to meet up together. It happens in Chicago all the time. Now, I know we sort of kickstarted it in Chicago and got a group of people together and they all sort of met. Now they do it all on their own. But DC, get together. You know, meet up, pick a, and pick a bar. And what a did we and do it.
1: just see? Like a couple of blenders uh, went to go support a play for another blender that he yes. was directing. Drove um, from
0: Chicago to Wisconsin to to support his play. Yeah.
1: Which, which is amazing. I, I love hearing stuff like that. And the thing is, it too, is, is, it's, it's, you know, they're like, you know, what I like to think of us as sort of like this little mini family that was created. Uh, uh, two years ago And and by nature of this creation of a family Like little other little family pods are creating yep. So it's, uh, it's it. a really cool hey, thing
0: Hey LA too, LA, I know we have a bunch of people Who are listening to us in LA And constantly ask us to come out there uh, Do something on your own Pick a pick a bar and and do a blender meetup and send us pictures. That's all I'm saying. That's all I want to do. Also, so we will all. we
1: will try to do some on our own. But I love that Sean's like, I'll oh, just do it yourself. Jesus, do it yourself. What yeah, do you what want do you need us for? For sake. Uh,
0: thank you again, everyone, for the reviews. Drop us reviews on iTunes, uh, and we'll read them at the top of the show. And if you have a review left that you submitted and we haven't yet gotten to it. I promise you we are going to read it. We have not forgotten you. We will definitely get to them all, but we're busy with stuff like this weekly poll, which is a new thing that we've added to the show where on Fridays we put up a poll and you guys participate in it and then we bring it to the show and we discuss it. And because Gabe and I got our wires crossed, we have two polls this week um, because I put up two different ideas and one of them is going to get us into our first news item, but I want to read the results of the poll that we uh, posted when we knew we were going to interview Joaquin, which is which is your favorite Joker? And Jake, I'm going to give you the four choices, and you'll tell me who came in first and last based on your best, based on your okay. guesses. Okay. Uh, Jared Leto, Mark Hamill, Jack Nicholson, and Heath Ledger.
1: Ledger came in first. Leto came in last.
0: Correct. Way to go. Nice. Uh, that was that was really 75% easy, dude. Five percent for Heath. Uh, oh, all right. Between Jack Nicholson and Mark Hamill, who came in second?
1: I think Nicholson came in second.
0: No, Mark Hamill did.
1: Really? Well yeah, Hamill Mark has Hamill. such like such goodwill toward him.
0: He does, yeah. yeah. And he, And
1: you could make the argument that Nicholson is kind of playing himself.
0: Jared Leto got one percent of the vote. Who voted for Jared Leto? Jared Leto did. Jared Leto! <laughs> <laughs> not even the cast of Suicide Squad would have voted for him, I don't believe, <laughs> because of all the weird things Guess that he sent in the mail. Some name. kind of suicide Our second squad. poll is also Batman-related, and I swear the weekly poll is not going to be Batman-related every single week. It just happens to be pretty busy with Joker coming out. And then this news, which was the story that Jonah Hill is in talks to join Matt Reeves' production tentatively titled The Batman, everyone's sort of calling it that, although I don't know if it's actually going to be called that. And we asked in a poll, uh, who should Jonah Hill play in The Batman? And we gave you three options and then we listed other. So we had The Penguin, The Riddler and Hugo Strange, and then we had other. And I'll just give you the results. The Penguin led with 52%. I feel that's a little bit unfair because I think he's just a portly actor and I right. <laughs> just think he looks like Is he like though? The I penguin? mean, it's,
1: it's it's Wednesday. I feel like every day he changes. So what, so what does he look like on Wednesday?
0: He could look like the Riddler because right. that came in second with 26%. And I think the report is kind of, it's one or the other. Isn't that right? right. Like they're not But I saw But sure. all the
1: reports I'm seeing are saying it's not the Penguin and they're all leaning closer to the Riddler, which is what I'm kind of hoping it is. I honestly feel like, yes, Jim Carrey did a great job and I just feel like but that he was very much the product of Joel Schumacher's fantasy bombastic Batman. I'd like to see a real world. If we're going to get a detective real world Batman, I'd like to see a a different take on uh, the Riddler.
0: Well, that's absolutely transitioned just through the fact that Hugo Strange got 13 percent. Other got 10 percent and people gave some pretty good suggestions in uh, the uh, Twitter feed underneath us. But Let's shift down to news and we'll talk about the fact that Jonah Hill is up for this villainous role. And in addition to that part, uh, news that Jeffrey Wright uh, is going to be up for Commissioner Gordon and that right before he got cast in the role, DC and Warner Brothers was circling Mahershala Ali before Ali got tapped for Blade by Marvel Studios, which I kind of I find uh, pretty fascinating. So. Um, right off the bat, listen, we don't really know what Matt Reeves is trying to put together with this, but you can start to read a lot based on casting. And, um, I I think it's pretty interesting the people that he's surrounding Robert Pattinson with, uh, we still, we really don't know anything at all about the storyline, but I really do like Jeffrey Wright as commissioner Gordon and I'm intrigued With the idea of Jonah Hill in a villainous role, because as you said, he's kind of underrated as an actor. He's stretched in things like War Dogs and Moneyball and Wolf of Wall Street, Wolf of Wall Street. But he could also do uh, broad comedy, as we've seen him do multiple times in several films. So you're pretty excited by the the notion of these casting ideas so far?
1: Yeah, because all the all the casting and, and what we've heard is the direction that he's going with this movie, which is more of like a noir hard-boiled detective leaning into the early days of him being the greatest detective, which we've never really seen on the big screen before really to me says, look, I know you've gotten 10,000 different versions of Batman and it's hard to imagine there being a version that you haven't seen yet, but I'm going to give you something that you haven't seen before. And that's to me, it, it's now no longer just an empty promise. The casting to me says that he's going to do that. I think, I think uh, Jeffrey Wright is, is a great actor and I think he could bring, you know, a different version of Commissioner Gordon to us. And I really think that Jonah Hill, I mean, we've never really seen him in a villainous role before. Um, and I just don't think that they would bring him in if they didn't think he could break out of the image that is Jonah Hill. The super bad image that he's worked pretty hard at breaking out of these past few years. Uh, I really hope it's not the Penguin because I honestly think that uh, honestly, I, I just feel like Danny DeVito is about as good as you're going to get. Yeah,
0: that's true. Well, but then isn't Jim Jim Carrey like the benchmark for Riddler?
1: Yeah, but Jim Carrey's Riddler to me exists in a silly Batman world. Right. And I think that there's a different version of the Riddler out there in a more darker, hardened Batman world. To me, Danny DeVito's Penguin exists in both a fantasy Batman and a hard, scary... Remember, Batman Returns was the one that messed up uh, McDonald's Happy Meals because they didn't know how to <laughs> how to put you know the 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 the, the toy of a, of a monster that ate a dude's nose off yeah, in a yeah, yeah. in a kid's Batman or in a kid's uh, McDonald's box. Um, so I think that's the, the to me the the bar. But uh, I think there's another Riddler out there to be seen.
0: I really wonder about the tone of what this movie is going to be because you're right. We've either seen campy or we've seen gritty Nolan, right? right. And it's it's kind of been one or the other. Uh, with no real in-between. Even Burton's stuff, which is considered more serious than the Schumacher ones, still had a camp element to it. He dances Uh, to Prince. And I don't know. (laughs) Yes, yes, he does. And I don't know what Matt Reeves is going to do. And I think that the direction of the villains will speak to a little bit, like if he's going to go a little bit comedic, and a little bit campy while still keeping the detective aspect, it is still Batman, you know? Yeah. It does still have to be a comic book film to a certain extent, and so putting Jonah says, Hill in a Rilla movie...
1: the guy that just saw Joker.
0: Well, very true. I you No, know, I get that, but it, I mean, I, I hate to immediately go to the Nolan comparison, but it feels like we're in a state where we were back then, where we were coming off of Batman and Robin, and we were like, okay, what direction are you taking the franchise now? Now you're coming off of Justice League and Batman v Superman, And the way that Snyder and Whedon use Batman, and so it's we're almost wiping the slate clean, and now it's up to Reeves to tell us um, what direction we're going to go. So we'll wait and see, you know, footage. I guess it's footage, and we're so far away from even seeing what that's going to be. But that's the latest cast. Was it 2021? I believe so. Yeah. So it'll be God. It'll be next year before they even
1: start probably shooting it.
0: Well, in addition to here's another movie that's coming out in June 2021 that the studio's trying to get us excited for, and here's where Jake and I get to get Done. a little bit of a already scrap. excited Jurassic Park three, directed I'm, by Jurassic Colin World Trevorrow, three. huh? Jurassic, oh, Jurassic World. World, Jurassic World three. There already is a Jurassic Park three. That's correct. Uh, revealed last night on the on the day that we are taping, so earlier this week, whenever you're listening to it, that original stars uh, Sam Neill, Laura Dern. And Jeff Goldblum, once again, <laughs> will be returning to the Jurassic World franchise. Jake immediately is excited for this. Oh, and and they say, probably in a way to sort of counteract the negativity to Fallen Kingdom, it will be beyond a cameo. It'll be a major uh, role in the story for these three original OG Jurassic characters. Uh, Jake, tell me why you're so excited by the notion that they're back.
1: You know, it's, I honestly, I don't know. Because I get that the, the past few movies have not been good i feel like that person in a relationship that keeps <laughs> getting dumped or keeps getting cheated on but keeps going back to the same significant other thinking this time is going to be different i like the first movie is is my along with star wars is my childhood it yes. is I, one of my all-time top five favorite movies period and so the I, every time a new jurassic park movie comes out It just taps into that nostalgia and I get so excited and then so let down every time. But there (laughs) is something about seeing those three on screen together again that really does excite me. And I really wasn't that excited for the new Jurassic World because I thought Fallen Kingdom was so bad. And I hadn't really thought about the fact that another one was coming out, especially since it's directed by Trevorrow. Um, who really could probably use a little bit of help right now, but the thought of seeing those three together, like that, doesn't excite you a little bit? Seeing it, Sam Neill and Laura Dern and Jeff Goldblum back on screen together again with a
0: dinosaur, it it doesn't for this reason. Uh, that gimmick has now been used too many times in too many other franchises.
1: Like what? The, okay, Star Wars, and then what?
0: Rocky, uh, or, or well, Creed and Creed was great. Rambo. Rainbow exists? (laughs) Terminator's a film. Bad boys. I mean, it's like an endless parade of if you're still alive and you had a franchise, (laughs) Indiana Jones 5, which we're gearing up for. You know, it's too many times the idea of just, hey, the original cast is coming back. It, it doesn't work or it doesn't always work. Sometimes it does, but it doesn't always but work. But when it does, dude. Sure. When okay, it fine. Does. Yes. Okay, fine. But you proved my point for me in our text thread where I told you I'm totally out. Like, I don't need another. I was really disappointed in Fallen Kingdom. Like, Fallen Kingdom was, yeah. and I yeah. love Bayona, and I couldn't believe that he delivered that movie. And the notion of the dinosaurs being loose is not intriguing to me, you know, to follow up as a sequel. And then you pair it with Colin Trevorrow, and that's, okay, fine, let's see what he does. Like, Book of Henry is not a good movie. I I like Jurassic World more than you and Kevin do, I believe. Um, But you wrote back in all caps, um, one out of the five movies was really, really good. And that's the franchise. It's had one good movie, like one truly great movie. And then- which, the other one? Lost World, World? is okay. Lost World. World is okay. Oh, you think too? Lost World?
1: Yeah, Lost I, World's okay. I, I, there are there
0: are some truly
1: great Spielberg moments in Lost World.
0: Yeah, there are, for sure. Yeah, yeah I hitting know. The hitting the glass. Falling on the glass. Yeah, stop stop fa- Falling on the glass is when you're trying to get out of an abusive relationship, and you're like, yeah, but he made me dinner last Friday. Like, everyone brings up the one nice thing that you did. The falling on the glass thing is the one great thing in, Lo- in Lost World. The rest of it's a little bit derivative but anyway jurassic park no jurassic world 3 2021 here's uh, here's, 2021 original cast members what
1: i want though is i want jeff goldblum to play ian malcolm again because he was a completely different guy in the lost world like ian malcolm in jurassic park was such a great character so weird and quirky and then he became this like macho hero in the lost world right and then in uh, *Fallen Kingdom*, had eight words, so it's hard to tell really who he was playing. Right, I think right. he just showed up on set. Well, based Jeff on Goldblum. what I've seen
0: from Jeff Goldblum lately, he's very much he's back, back to, in that to being moment. Malcolm, baby. <laughs> yes, so I think you're going to get your wish. Um, speaking of not getting your wish, <laughs> the joke that we made at the start of the show <laughs> is a sad and tragic story um, about a very excited boy. Who thought he was going to meet his childhood hero. And uh, I'm going to turn this over to Mr. Jake Hamilton to explain to all of our Blunder family uh, how his meeting with George Lucas this week went so horribly, horribly wrong.
1: First of all, props to Sean, who was sweet enough before we started recording to ask, like, is it okay if we tell this story? Which obviously it is, because... And obviously, also, you wrote it in the intro. So if I had
0: said no, what were you going to do? Um, I would have read it and then apologized to you Fair, enough, fair <laughs> enough. Profusely. So here's the deal.
1: And I have to be honest I had a feeling this wasn't going to work out. So much so, because whenever I have an interview coming up or something really big, I, unlike Kevin, I will overly tweet about it. I don't get superstitious about stuff happening. I will say, guys, I'm 48 hours away from doing this. I'm so excited, so nervous, whatever, you know. I don't really worry about maybe it not happening. I just put it out there. If you'll notice, I never talked about this on social media. Because I think deep down, I had this weird feeling it wasn't going to work out. So I live in Chicago. George Lucas's wife is from Chicago and is very actively involved in a lot of fundraisers around town. So every once in a while, you'll sort of hear about them being in town and popping up for this fundraiser or that fundraiser. And obviously, if you happen to be there, you can catch a glimpse of them. And, and you know, if you're not, then you're not. So last week, uh, I got word uh, from someone that I work with at Fox, hey, uh, the, a friend of mine is hosting this fundraiser with George Lucas's wife. And George Lucas is going to be there. Would you want to come with me? And then you could meet George Lucas. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? Oh my God, yes. (laughs) So I instantly texted you guys. I was like, guys, I'm hanging out with George Not (laughs) Not I'm going to be like in the same room. I'm freaking hanging out with George Lucas next week. Yes, very excited. And then we talked a little bit about it whenever we were at Joker together last week. And we sort of got to sort of kind of geek out a little bit about it. And then progressively like... It's, it was one of those things where every time I would talk to my friend at work about it, and I love her to death, and I don't think she listens to the podcast, but if she does, like, I'm, I promise I'm not tr- talking trash about you. But she would say things that would make me think, like, I feel like this isn't going to happen because you've <laughs> got to know that this is wrong. She, I was talking about, like, okay, well, what is our access to George going to be? And she was like, oh, you can just go over there and, like, just talk Star Wars with him. And I was like, I feel like you don't know George Lucas that well. Because if you did, you would know that he was probably, he would not be cool with me just going up and talking Star Wars with him. No, he would hate that. Yeah, especially like at his wife's event.
0: Yeah, he would want no part of that. Yeah,
1: he wouldn't, like that, like you've got to, like the fact that she was so openly cool, like, oh yeah, you'll be able to do all these things with George. You'll be his best friend. And I kept thinking like, okay you i feel like this isn't gonna happen what if like
0: behind closed doors he loves talking about star wars like he'll just talk about it with everybody then then he's been putting on the
1: greatest ruse for the last 42 (laughs) years So I show up at this event, which is for actually a very worthy cause. So I'm going to give it a shout out. It's called After School Matters, which is an amazing organization that gives gives kids on the south and west side of Chicago something to do after school um, for so many kids in neighborhoods in which there's usually nothing to do, which sometimes can put them in a potentially dangerous situation if mm-hmm. they have nowhere to go after school. Um, so it's called After School Matters, and it allows them to do so many things with art and culinary skills and, and singing and dancing. It's an amazing organization That's that awesome. is head up. Um, by George Lucas's wife And and, and, and she does an amazing job she does so many great things and the governor of Illinois was there and the mayor was there and the former mayor was there I mean it was a big deal Man, everybody was there. Everybody, except George (laughs) Lucas. (laughs) So I get there, and I'm like the Terminator scanning the room. I mean, like, oh, I'm telling you, man, everybody was there. I'm like, there's the governor. There's the mayor. There's the former mayor. There's this person. There's that person. And I was like, move it off. move out of the way, governor. You were supposed
0: to be at his table, were you not? I was.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And so I get there thinking, like, it's going to be, like, an intimate, like, eight person or like an eight table thing like a really small like quiet conversation this was basically the scene from 500 days of summer (laughs) with expectations versus reality (laughs) and (laughs) and expectations were jake walking in holding hands with george lucas as we walked to our table together sat down next to each other and talked about our theories
0: for episode nine shared bread george can i get you a drink what are you drinking can i get you what do you you want what do you want white white, red i'll get you blue milk you want green milk
1: reality was 120 tables. (laughs) And while I'm waiting on my date to come in, these people just kept walking in and walking in. And and I kept thinking, there's so many people here. Are they all servers? They were not all servers. And then every time, then at one point, I heard someone say, like, they're here. And I was like, oh, dear sweet Christ, they're here. Yeah. And these like this 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 old couple walked in and I was like, get out of the way! George is coming. <laughs> and so finally, narrator. My date arrived. <laughs> and you know, she was so kind to invite me to this thing because it really was an, a nice event and it was so beautiful and it was such a worthy cause. And these kids were showing off their skills and it was fantastic. And they had art hanging up that they've painted over like over the last year, and they're raising funds for this incredible cause. And all I could focus on, on where is the hell is George Lucas? <laughs> and I saw and His wife was there and I saw his wife and I was like, he's got to be somewhere around here. And finally, and I know this had to break her heart. I know it did because she said it in the way like you tell your kid about a certain bearded man at Christmas time. that doesn't exist.
0: The family dog. She, had
1: to, she had to come up to me and go like, hey. George isn't coming.
0: (laughs) I'm sorry to laugh. I'm sorry. It's
1: so horrible. You know, I the the first thing I thought was, oh Christ, I'm gonna have to tell Sean and Gabe and Kevin. And I because I had been like so hyped about this all day.
0: Wait, how much longer in the ceremony did you have? Like three hours? Uh, For the next 18 hours, we're gonna be walking you through what after school matters
1: does. So, How do even get, you know, get
0: out of here, and so without looking and like a total jerk.
1: <laughs> I really thought I was like I was like oh, I've got to sit through the ceremony, don't I? And, and this is before the ceremony started. And to the, you know what sucked is we great. were at the next it's better table than over. If you met him. Like so, the next table over. Okay, granted, like it was like a like, like you know maybe like hundred hundred twenty tables. Sure. And we were at table 30 and table 31 was his wife. So in theory, table 31 right next to us is right where. So, yeah, I wouldn't have been at his table, but I would have been sitting next to his table. Dude, was there a little been placeholder
0: there. that said, "G Lucas George, with G, an empty plate? <laughs> and, and, you know, here,
1: here I was thinking about this later, you know, because I, I gave it. It kept me up all night last night. And if you think about it, it makes complete and total sense why he wouldn't be there. Because mm-hmm. it's a room full of, like, a thousand people. And God knows I wasn't the only one there hoping George Lucas would be there. And so for an event that was for this fundraiser that his wife had put on, I it makes sense to me that he wouldn't show up. Because I feel like, from his perspective, he probably would have taken the focus away from what the night was supposed to be about. And I would have contributed to that. I would have been the number one, like, right. fault... Of, yeah, sure, these kids are great, wonderful fundraiser, so Chewbacca's cool.
0: But then he can't go to anything by that logic. Yeah, that's fair. He's always going to be George Lucas in whatever room that he goes to. So I had to to send
1: one of the hardest texts I've ever sent in my entire (laughs) life. And keep in mind, my fiance once broke up with me, but this still ranks up there, which is texting you that. guys saying, guys, George Lucas didn't show. Oh. And I honestly don't know which was worse, texting you guys that my fiance broke up with me or that George Lucas
0: didn't show up. They're they're on par, yeah. I would say. The fiance I got over, George Lucas, I'm not so sure. Jake, I heard he just went to the Toshi station to pick up some power converters. Pick up some power
1: converters. Converters. Yeah. Well, I'm the, sorry, you know, man.
0: Well, I will say that your uh, attitude toward it all was fantastic, where you just said the dream lives on. Dream lives on. And uh, lives someday on. you will meet and, him. It ended,
1: yeah, and it, it ended up being a, uh, a wonderful event. And, uh, you know, it really did raised uh, like a quarter of a million dollars for these kids, which was fantastic. Uh, it's after school matters. If you want to look into it, if you're in the Chicagoland area, really, it's an amazing cause what they do. I really don't mean to to make light of it because once I sort of got over that and sort of put myself in the moment, I really realized how lucky I was to be there because it is an amazing cause. Uh, and there was a reason that so many amazing people were there. Uh, and I think Lucas, I mean, there was an anonymous donor that don't, that matched dollar for dollar uh, actually I take it back. They ended up being like, ha- cause they raised 250,000, which I think then an anonymous donor who had to be Lucas, right? An anonymous donor matched dollar for dollar, whatever it was they raised that night. So I didn't mm. know the total fundraiser ended up being,
0: um, pretty sure that was Kevin's mom. Yeah. Kevin's mom. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she donated. I do want to point out that this is a great example. We share a lot of amazing stories of really, really cool things that have happened to us. We also have our fair share of us signing up for some stuff that we think is going to go a certain way, and it just doesn't. Yeah, This is a great example of you commit to a bit, and then you're in it, and then you're like, ah, Ah. this wasn't what I thought.
1: I I mentioned (laughs) Kevin at the beginning of the story, because Kevin, oftentimes, Kevin will book an interview, and Kevin gets more interviews, I'd argue, than any of us. Yes. Yeah, and has more right to brag about people that he's getting that anybody because he's going to if there's going to be a junket he's going to get it right and he is so superstitious he, says, he talked about this he's so superstitious he will not reveal before until the interviews happened that he's getting this person or that person and i'm very much a like look you promised me this person i'm advertising that i'm getting them but i did not talk about because I, I i swear on my life going into this week I just had this strange feeling like it's not going to happen. Like this doesn't feel right. It feels too good to be true. Something's something's got to give. And and sure enough, uh, yeah, obviously it didn't end up happening. So I was, I was looking forward to never telling that story.
0: Till next time. Till next time. Till next right, time. Well, I will. I didn't want to have to do this review either. But Gabe has on the show notes that I'm going to react to Rambo Five. Oh now. yes. So when we were in Los Angeles and we were doing the Joaquin Phoenix interview. Uh, We had planned to go see uh, Ad Astra afterwards. Jake was going right to the airport, but Kevin and Gabe and myself uh, had plenty of time until our evening flights. And so we were going to actually try to pull off a double feature of Rambo Last Blood and then head into Ad Astra right after that, uh, the way that the timing sort of broke down. But... We had to stick around the hospitality suite for an extension of our Joker interview, which we'll be able to tell you about in a little while. And that meant we could only choose one of them. And Kevin, I will throw him under the bus, was adamant about going to see Rambo Last Blood. And he knew that it was going to be terrible. But part of the reason why he wanted to go see it was just to see how bad it was going to be. Now, I know that at the time he'd actually seen... Ad Astra already. So to him he was more interested in seeing Rambo. I also was borderline curious about how bad Rambo was going to be. See, so I've, the two of us I've never to go that guy. It.
1: I've never been that guy that says, I want to see a movie to see how bad it is.
0: Well, I'm more of a franchise person. I, I love franchises. And I do love returning to characters. And I like seeing how they're No, things, so you're like not a allowed to love
1: returning characters.
0: Why? Why because is that?
1: you don't want Sam Neill and Jeff Goldblum and Laura Dern coming well, I'm back. I'm
0: still going to watch it. I still am a complete want to see where, where to the story it. goes. I'm you're just not disappointed you're in it more often than not. When we're so, in Hawaii
1: doing that junket,
0: hanging out yeah, with Jeff Goldblum, you can't come. I was not allowed to go to that one. You guys got to sleep in that amazing tent, too, after that. Um, Rambo Last Blood is a weird example, uh, of what's happening lately as they bring these characters back, which is that they don't have a reason to bring them back. There's no story, uh, in play in Rambo Last Blood that says like, oh, we needed to tell this one. And so we talked to like Creed. Logan
1: being the, or Creed. Yeah. Well, Logan. Well, yeah, L- yeah. Logan.
0: Perfect example of, they had a, more to do with the character. And so they had to bring him back. Um, Creed, you had to bring Rocky back because you were going to tell the story of Adonis. Great. Rocky Last Blood is more like, here's a character that you once knew doing some random stuff for just about 90 minutes (laughs) to kind of call it a movie. And someone solidified this description of it and they nailed it when they said it. And I wish I can give him credit, but I just saw it on Twitter. It was like they concocted one set piece, which if you've seen the trailers, it's him uh, setting up all these traps and the tunnels underneath his house, um, and then forgot how to build a movie around that set piece. So it's literally just Stallone bumbling through a bunch of scenes until they've run off enough minutes to get to that final bit. Now it's not so poorly constructed that you you know that you dismiss it completely. It's still it's okay by standards, but it's no more than like two stars out of five. And there is one montage in the middle of it that was so. There's two things in it that made Kevin and I laugh out loud in this theater. One, there is a blatantly obvious driving shot from a point of view of somebody in a car. And you could tell that it's a green screen all around them or like a moving screen behind them. And it's shot from the exact same angle of like pointing at the driver's side and the person's got the car window open and it's blowing their hair, but you know they're not on a road at all. at all. And the minute they showed it, we both looked at each other like, oh my God, look at that shot, it's horrible. And like 30 minutes later, they did the exact same <laughs> shot with a different character in a different car. And it was the exact angle. And we both were like, are you kidding me? He's doing it again. And then later in the film, there's a montage. And, and the Rambo movies used to be known for their montages, like especially him suiting up for battle. But this wasn't that. This was three of the characters were in different locations in the story. And they did like a 10 scene montage that just kept cutting back to where they were. So it was like Stallone in a um, prison the lady who he's helping back home, but she was like cleaning the kitchen and standing out on the front porch and doing some stuff. And then the villain who was kind of like moving around his lair and the montage was just like 10 scenes cut together of just reminding you, Oh, here's where the characters are before we get to the the big conclusion, kind of a joke. Pretty laughable, and yet, if you told me he was going to make another one, I wouldn't be surprised in the least bit, because it opened to pretty decent money, and it looks pretty easy for him to do. He's not doing a whole heck of a lot in these. It's called Last Blood. How can he do another one? Listen, I understand that these are supposed to be the final movies in all of these franchises, but um, they keep coming back for some reason. Arnold would Would you go see another one? Yeah, I'd probably go see another one. <laughs> I mean— <laughs> If I'm being totally honest. I love that you just
1: completely it. just trashed this movie and then went, yeah, let's see another one. That's Listen, that's
0: basically me with Jurassic Park. Yeah, no, I get that. I'm I'm still holding out for a fifth lethal weapon and I'm still holding out for oh, that last. Oh God, wouldn't that be great? That last Die Hard movie that they want to make, the year one that now sounds like it got killed in the Fox Disney merger. There's a bunch of titles that got wiped away in the Fox Disney merger and, uh, and uh, I think the Die Hard one that they're going to do. Gabe says they should call it Rambo Six New Blood. Oh, well, like well done! Say, tra- train a child. The next generation had. Jonah Hill, Jai Courtney, oh. fresh blood. That'd be a good one. All fresh right, this week blood. in movies, uh, you didn't see The Day Shall Come, did you? I did not. Did you see Abominable?
1: Dude.
0: <laughs> All right, you did see Judy. I did uh, see we- Judy. We talked about Judy on the Toronto podcast. If you go back a couple episodes to where the three of us got together in Toronto, the guys were able to talk about that. But specifically, Jake, get into um, the Oscar chances of Renee Zellweger because it, I'm hearing that she's legitimately the frontrunner in the actress category.
1: Yeah, not just the frontrunner to be nominated. I mean, we're talking like the frontrunner to win her second Oscar. Uh, I thought she was phenomenal in the movie. I, I find in these biopics, biopics are actually one of my, like, Least favorite genre of films, yeah. Um, just predictable. because, yeah. And and I tend like the thing that I always say, usually when a biopic comes out, is I like the performance more than the film. I okay. always find the film to be like, eh. But say, well, you got to see it just because person X is fantastic. Yeah, um, that's fair. And and I think she is phenomenal. Uh, it does change the way you look at Wizard of Oz. And and I, I didn't know a ton about the final few years of, of of Judy Garland's life, but Renee Zellweger, I mean, she is. I mean, she's been kind of off the radar, off the map for the better part of 10 or 15 years. But remember, the early 2000s, late 90s kind of belonged to her. I mean, she, yeah. there was a period where, I mean, every Oscar she was nominated. She finally won with Cold Mountain. And I would really, lo- I think she has a lot of good. I don't think she lost any goodwill in that time in which she kind of dipped away. Um, I think people are excited to have her back. And say what you want to about the Oscars. People's perception of you is a big part of, of, of your your play in the game. Uh people I think people are excited to have her back. Uh I'm hearing that a lot of the academy screenings for Judy, they're starting to ramp up and they're starting to happen in Hollywood are very well received and I'm seeing a lot of images out her out there of her uh already kind of playing the game if you will. I see a lot of pictures of her going around and shaking hands and kissing babies and yeah. she seems to get what you have to do and I think she sees a moment in her career. That uh, she is trying to make the most of. And I say props to her because I think the uh, performance is worthy of the acclaim and worthy of the intention. And I, I'd love to see her kind of back in it. I'd love to see a, a resurgence for Renee Zellweger.
0: Well, I don't think these roles come around that often, too. And I think yeah. she kind of maybe going through this dry spell. And I think she kind of took herself out of the running she for did. a lot of roles. Yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't that the industry overlooked her or anything. But she's got to understand that these roles don't come around all the time. And so when you do get a role that you're really proud of and you do the work that you're really proud of, um, I could see her understanding, I would probably need to back this. And you're right. The the biggest thing I'm hearing as they're screening it really early is that she's at the screenings and she's doing the Q&As. And this, again, fair or not, is very important uh, for a person's chances. It's funny, we were reporting, I don't know if we said it on the show or if we were just talking uh, amongst ourselves about Brad Pitt sort of, initially saying he might not campaign as hard for Once Upon a Time uh, in Hollywood or add Astra if he were to get into the running for that one. He kind of backed off that a yeah. little bit and saying, no, no, I'll be out there, don't worry. But the season can be extremely yeah. long. I mean, it can be now until yeah. February, I mean, and he's been,
1: he's been kind of making the rounds with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood since Yeah. So you got oh, to imagine yeah, wow. from his perspective, like, that's a lot of handshaking and kissing. I mean, I, I get why he wouldn't. Well, you got to imagine that dude's tired.
0: But because in his downtime, when he's not doing that, he gets to go be Brad Pitt. I know. And it's going to be rather do being that? that handsome.
1: I would rather you would do know. that.
0: Yes, it is. I'm telling you from a first person perspective, it's very, very hard. So Judy is out in theaters uh, starting this week. And I would recommend it. You would recommend it. I'm definitely going to go out of my yeah. way to see it. Um, prim- Primarily because I'm hearing how amazing yeah. she is in it. Um. Now for a movie that has been in theaters uh, for the past 35 years, off and on. And again, this is something that we're going to potentially try to do more and more down the road, which is a retro type of review tied to something that was really important to us uh, in the past and is potentially celebrating uh, an anniversary. And for this one, it's Gremlins. Now, I freaking love Gremlins. It's such a great 80s horror comedy and as I mentioned in this upcoming uh, ep- uh, interview with director Joe Dante, it's the sh- it's the movie that I use as my kids' gateway to horror. Whenever they start to kind of ask, choice. yeah, like, can I watch something really scary? I have two movies that they, that they can watch. Um, one is Gremlins. That's usually their start. And then the other is The Monster Squad. Those are the two that I kind of reserve of, like, I'm going to introduce you. But Monster Squad is even, you should be a little bit older, right? There's <laughs> some jokes in there that... Um, that I think Gremlins is a lot safer. And now PJ's kind of graduated to the point where he's seen Alien and Aliens. He's seen the two It films, and he's getting into a little bit more higher uh, forms of horror. Brendan, I'm 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 excited to introduce him to uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which I didn't get a chance to see, but I'm hoping that's coming on streaming sometime soon. So anyway, we were given the opportunity to interview Joe Dante uh, in celebration of the 35th anniversary of Gremlins, and we are uh, able to present that interview to you guys right now, so give it a listen. Guys, we are so excited here on the Real Blend Podcast to be joined by legendary director Joe Dante, and we are able to speak to him about Gremlins, which is celebrating its 35th anniversary. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm just fine. Oh my gosh, we're so happy to have you on here. Uh, obviously, a seminal film uh, that that we all grew up on and it has had tremendous legs over the years, but I want to take you back to opening weekend. I think a lot of people might not even realize that you guys opened the same weekend as Ghostbusters, another film that's had tremendous legs over the years. Can you just tell me what that opening weekend was like? How competitive was it between you guys and, and what was the fanfare like surrounding both films?
2: Well, it was competitive in that both movies were kind of uh, new in the sense that they, they, there weren't a lot of other movies like them before. And uh, we were uh, competitive in every market, but we won in New York because uh, Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters had snarled so much traffic while shooting in New York uh, that New Yorkers were pissed at them. And, uh, <laughs> and so our picture did better in New York. Uh, but generally, it, 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 Ghostbusters outdid us a little bit all over town. but. Uh, it was still. They were. They were both phenomenons. And uh, for me, it was only my, you know, third picture, and I was uh, pretty amazed that uh, uh, it was such a huge hit. I mean, we were we were all gobsmacked by the fact that it was so popular.
1: Joe, obviously, for you, the word Amblin uh, implies a, a certain movie studio, but these days, it's used as a compliment. Uh, Sort of a throwback. When a movie comes out and people go, oh, it's sort of like an Amblin movie, it kind of implies that it requires kids to maybe be a little bit more mature, maybe grow up a little bit more, maybe it's a little bit edgier or scarier. Uh, What does the word Amblin mean to you these days? And do you think that... Maybe the kids' movies, the family movies that come out don't have that fun edge that they did whenever you made something like Gremlin.
2: Well, you got to remember, Amblin made its uh, reputation by making pictures that weren't just for kids. They were family movies Mm -hmm. in the best sense. They were pictures that you could bring your family to, and everybody would get a little something different out of it. And yes, they weren't afraid to be edgy, and uh, and they weren't afraid to create the PG-13 rating. They weren't weren't planning on it, but they did anyway. With Gremlins and, and uh, Indiana Jones having its heart heart ripping scene, um, but uh, and, uh, and those pictures became staples. And you know, there was Harry and the Hendersons. There was uh, Batteries Not Included. I mean, there, you know, it was a whole series of those kind of fantasy pictures that uh, really did speak to the to the the kid in all of us uh, during that 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 decade. Uh, and that's, I think those pictures are one of the reasons why the 80s is, to today's generation, what the 50s was to my generation, which is something that you look back on fondly because that was a formative period and when you in, infused a lot of the ideas. That uh, you know followed you through life.
1: I, I want to follow up real quick because you actually did touch on something I wanted to ask about, which is the creation of the PG thirteen rating. Which is uh, a lot of people say that you and yet, yeah, like you said, Temple of Doom are responsible for that. How were you told you just made a movie that we're because of the movie you were made that you made we're going to create an entire new rating
2: for. Well, it was. It was. The writing was sort of on the wall when the complaints came in. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the, the 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 trick was that the ad for Grommets, which was sort of a blue background with a box with a fuzzy hand coming out of it, um, was I think intentionally created to look like the ad for ET. And mm-hmm. uh, since the ad line was cute, mischievous, cuddly, and dangerous, or whatever it was, uh, it was sort of a blatant attempt to try to ride the coattails of E.T. And as a result, many parents brought their kids to what they thought was going to be a cuddly, cute, boy-and-his-dog kind of movie. And it is a boy-and-his-dog kind of movie, up to the point where the dog turns into <laughs> a monster. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they were they were surprised to see that the, the first half of the movie was all lovable and cute, and and they thought that was great. And then the the first gremlins turn into monsters, and all of a sudden the tone changes. And I, I have to tell you, I mean, even at the first screening for the studio, uh, they were kind of appalled because they liked the first half of the movie so much that when it got gruesome, they, uh, they, they, their reaction was kind of like, well, these gremlins are kind of disgusting, aren't they? I mean, they're blowing their nose on the curtains and they're, they're, <laughs> there's an awful lot of them. I mean, maybe we should cut some of them out. And uh, Spielberg said, uh, I, I think correctly, he said, well, we could cut, cut all the ground ones out and call it people, but nobody will show up. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know, Joe, uh, you mentioned Spielberg. Uh, I, I want to I get to a question after this, just a quick comment. Um, you mentioned the PG-13 rating and Jake was asking that question about. Uh, Indiana Jones and obviously your film as well. Um, d- does it still blow your mind that something like Jaws is PG? I mean, like, that, like that, to me is just insane. If you're looking back on that now,
2: well, you know the whole rating system—it's it, kind of irrelevant now because uh, you know the, these were these are movies that played in theaters, and the idea was that you know if it has certain rating, you could bring your kid, and, and your kid couldn't get in without you, and and all that. But you know, with the advent of home video, that just became a big joke. Uh, because not only were kids always sneaking into R-rated movies in theaters, and probably still do, but uh, there's no way to police what a kid is going to be able to see anymore. So the, the the whole rating thing, which was supposed to be advisory, uh, it became kind of a trap for filmmakers because the studios were so religiously adherent to it uh, that they they went around sort of, you know, bolderizing the movies trying to get certain ratings that they thought were better for their the bottom line. Uh, but in the end, none of it really mattered, and, and, and some pretty good movies got kind of sliced up uh, in an effort to try to appease the rating system. Whereas in fact, the rating system was always kind of, you know, uh, useless, except for the fact that it got rid of local censor boards. People forget that uh, you know, in, in most parts of the United States before the rating system, movies were subject to indiv- individual cuts based on whatever pr- territory they were opening in they had sensor boards and there were people whose job it was to make sure that a, the same movie that opened in Ohio uh, wasn't going to be the same movie that opened in New Jersey. They would have come after your kitchen scene, Joe. <laughs> they would have said no, no gremlins in the microwave back in the day. Well, I think the gremlin in the microwave was always a very controversial scene in the movie because- uh, do-gooders, I call them, uh, said, well, you know, this is bad for children because they'll put their little brothers in the microwave and they'll put their poodles in the microwave. And that always struck me as a specious argument because made by, made by people who don't really understand or like kids because children are not stupid. And uh, one of the things that, that filmmakers often do to their detriment is to talk down to kids. Uh at American International, they had a, a, a bromide, which was that uh, an older kid will not watch anything a younger kid will watch, but a younger kid will watch anything that an older kid will watch. And so they <laughs> made their movies for older kids and they got the whole market.
3: You know, Joe, um, one thing I'm fascinated, I'm, I'm a h- huge fan, I think a lot of people are, of practical effects. Um, and the idea of how you made these films at the time period you did, uh, to me, is a... Is so interesting because you had to make them the way you had to make them because that's all you had available to you uh, in the sense of like CGI not being a massive thing and not even a thing at all at that point I believe. So I'm curious for you uh, how you achieved the effects with the Gremlins, but also um, specifically the microwave scene. Like, do you remember what you guys actually exploded in there? Um, but like, what spe- what specifically do you remember about the animatronics? If you like, and, and how you were doing the puppets and things like that with with the uh, with the Gremlins.
2: Well, we were kind of inventing the technology as we went on, because there hadn't really been a puppet movie of that size uh, made by anybody but Jim Henson, and this was a different kind of movie. Um, because of the complexity of operating the puppets, uh, the sets were built up on uh, stilts, and the puppeteers sort of lived in a sort of an underground community under the sets uh, where they could you know, uh, watch everything on monitors and they could uh, you know, pull their levers and wires, Many of which, uh, you know, kept the grummons from, you know, falling down and uh, got them to look like they were doing things. And sometimes it would take more than one puppeteer to do just a grumlin facial expression. Uh, so there was a, a tremendous amount of effort involved. And plus, we had to hide the puppeteers. It's not like today, with a, an extra take, you could eliminate them by CGI. You had to you had to put them behind the wall. You had to put them behind the chair. You had to hide them. Uh, in the frame, in order to get the, to do that stuff, so uh, it was a very arduous process because we discovered there were a lot of things in the script that they were supposed to do that just weren't weren't going to be possible. So we had uh, we had uh, had to improvise and come up with things that they could do. And once we found out what they could do well, we tried to do more of that. Um, and so uh, it, it, it's the, the, the microwave scene was in fact a uh, a Grumman puppet uh, that, um, had a, 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 explosive in it and, um, it blew, blew a lot of jello and, and, uh, and, and stuff inside this microwave. And it, yeah, it was, a, it was a pretty good effect. We only had to do it once.
3: That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Cause I, always, I was always curious kind of what was, what that was made of. And I, I'm glad you only did it once though. That's pretty cool. All right, Sean, go ahead, buddy.
0: Well, just to follow up on on that before I get to my next question, Joe, real fast, is the scene that that always gets me is, of course, after the pool, uh, which is such a brilliant way that you've already established, you know, water is a detriment. And then you have the gremlin jump into the pool. Was it a form of stop motion animation when you have all of them emerge from the shadow and they're all walking down the street? It's an incredible effect. And it's one of my favorite shots in the film.
2: The the, the gremlins walking down the street uh, are indeed all... Uh, stop-motion puppets which we had a whole bunch of them made uh, and um, if you'll notice in the scene uh, there's a scene uh, there's a, a noise on the soundtrack where they as if they've broken a light uh, like you know thrown a rock up at a, a, a street light but what actually happened was that in the middle of the shooting the scene a light blew out and they the, pup, the animators went oh no we got to start over and I said, no, 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 just, just keep going and we'll put a sound on the soundtrack and make it look like they they broke something.
0: That's awesome. Um, I'm also curious, too, because nowadays sequels uh, for films are basically confirmed, you know, once a movie is announced, you know, they'll get a release date and they'll tell people like this is going to be a franchise long before they even know that a movie is going to be a hit. Now, I don't think that that was necessarily the case back then. So at what point... In the process, did, did did you find out that you were going to make Gremlins too? And then how did you go through coming up with an idea for that one? Did you have ideas while you were working on Gremlins?
2: Well, there was no thought of doing a sequel or making Gremlins. It was such a difficult movie to make. We were just hoping we could get through it. Um, and of course, the fact that it turned out to be a big hit was a surprise to everybody, including the studio, maybe especially the studio. And immediately they were on me and, well, it's, it's a big hit. We got to make another one. And I was exhausted. I mean, this was a really difficult movie to make. And I said, I've had enough with Gremlins. I'm not going to do any Gremlins. You guys do the Gremlins. I'm going away. And, uh, and they and they did for, they tried for a number of years to make a sequel to Gremlins, but they couldn't figure out how to do it because they didn't really much like or understand the original movie until it made a lot of money. So uh, finally, they came back to me and said, well, you know, we, we can't figure out how to do this ourselves. So if you'll come in and give us a Gremlins movie for next summer, we'll let you do whatever you want. And I, I must say, I couldn't uh, resist that offer. And happily, and the technology had improved so much in the five years that we were able to have the to do a lot of things that we could never even imagine them doing in the first picture.
1: Joe, we hear a lot uh, about the word producer. And, and for a lot of people, it can be kind of ambiguous because it can imply a lot of different things. Sometimes producers just throw money at a movie and sometimes they're really actively involved in the creative process. Uh, when it comes to Steven Spielberg, can you talk about what his involvement uh, in the movie, was he on set with you? Or was he sort of uh, guiding from a distance? What, what, what was his engagement with you?
2: Well, Stephen owned the company, and this was the first picture uh, for his new Amblin uh, company. And he wanted to make it as a low-budget horror film, and that was what I had been specializing in. And that's why he called me in. Uh, it became apparent uh, when we started to figure out how the Grumlins were going to work that this was going to be a difficult movie to make cheaply. So he went to the studio, and it became uh, a Warner Brothers picture. Um, but he was busy uh, planning and making uh, Indiana Jones at the time. So my my producer was Mike Fennell, who I'd worked with before, and he was the one who was on set with me and solving all the problems that show up day to day. And Stephen was basically set up everything. He was involved in the casting, he was involved in the script, and then he went away while we were shooting to make his picture. Uh, and when he came back, we just sort of, showed him what we had because uh, he'd been away during all that period. And I do remember him occasionally, uh, I was in the back row, occasionally during the movie he would hit his, hit his head with his hand <laughs> as if, what is this? Um, but he liked the movie, he, li- he, liked, he liked the movie, I don't know if it was exactly what he expected, but uh, he was very supportive. And uh, when the studio didn't quite understand it, he supported us and said, no, no, let's have a preview. Uh, of, of Joe's version of the movie, because they, were, they had a lot of ideas, but which mainly involved cutting out grommels. Uh, and, uh, and it was a big, the, the preview went extremely well. It was the greatest preview I've ever seen. And, um, and then they, they suddenly realized, oh my God, this picture might, be, might make a lot of money. We better make some toys. Uh, and so they, they put a rush on, these, uh, on on this Hasbro deal that they had to make uh, grommelon toys. And they, they put out a tremendous amount of merchandise, most of it pretty good, in a very short time. So they were able to really capitalize on what turned out to be a sleeper hit.
3: You know, Joe, last question for you. We, uh, we talked a lot about ratings um, earlier in the interview. And I'd be very curious to know if you could make uh, Gremlins with an R rating. Uh, what scene do you think would be the most fun to see? kind of go as gory as you possibly could go with it and what would you what what do you think you would do with it if you if you were able to do it with an r-rating
2: you mean a new gremlins or an old or the old gremlins
3: yeah you take whatever scene from the original gremlins and and turn it into an r-rated sequence which one would you want
2: boy uh i don't remember there being that much gore uh in the movie um in the microwave scene there was a a a big close-up of a Gremlin with a kitchen knife sticking out of him that the mother sticks in it uh which was which was fairly gory and they made us cut out um and then in the uh the scene where the science teacher gets killed uh there was originally a close-up of glenn turman's face with hypodermic needles uh sticking out of it uh and they that that eventually was reshot so that there was just one needle and it was in his butt Um, but but they're they're really, I don't, I don't think there are that many opportunities, uh, in the movie as it stands to make it that much more gruesome. Well, Joe, I'll
0: tell you that as a parent of two boys, uh, gremlins is my gateway into horror for them. Uh, they've each have at different levels. They, they get very curious about the genre and I'm always like, okay, good. I got the perfect one that I'm going to show you guys to, to get you kickstarted on that road. So for that reason alone, uh, we thank you so much for your contributions uh, to did film you history. already?
2: Did you already show it to him? Oh yes, uh, they've both seen it. Yes. Did you fast forward through the Christmas scene? The, the...
0: Um. Yes. <laughs> yes. In both instances. <laughs> yes, I, I always, did. I yeah. always
2: ask people. You know, when they say, "How how old should my kid be when I show him uh, grandmas, I always ask, "Does he still believe in Santa Claus?"
0: Yep. And, <laughs> and if they I'll do, tell then you. you
2: have to either you have to fast forward through that, or just don't show it to him.
0: You're exactly right. Um, they both still believed at that point, And so I had to skip over that
2: scene because I didn't want you ruining it for me. Perfectly them. understood.
0: <laughs> but thank you so much for your time. Uh, Gremlin celebrates its 35th anniversary. We are thrilled to have uh, Joe Dante with us. Joe, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. A lot. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We really want to thank Joe Dante for coming on the show. It was a great opportunity to talk to a filmmaker who we have admired over the years, and we didn't get a chance to plug his own podcast uh, during our interview, but I want to make sure to tell you guys that while you're looking out for uh, your own copy of Gremlins, which is now available uh, in 4K, you can also check out Joe Dante's podcast, which is called The Movies That Made Me, and you can listen to that wherever you find amazing podcasts like this one. I got so to we we say, that
1: we were, what, maybe five, six, Seven minutes into that interview and I think I even texted you guys like this is so interesting I mean not that I wasn't excited about the interview when we went into it uh but it was just I mean you know in the grand scheme of like us getting Tarantino and us getting Joaquin Phoenix it was just sort of like oh like this is gonna be cool yeah let's do this and then like just hearing him tell these stories and then realizing sort of how much it was I didn't really account for how much it was going to tap into my nostalgia of growing up with that movie It just went like, wow, like it really like you said, I really want to start doing more interviews like that and and, and being able because a lot of times when you interview a director that has directed a movie like that over the past, you know, like three or four decades, it's usually them uh, promoting something else. So if you get the chance, then you kind of swing back to Gremlins really quick, but then you got to go back to what it is they're there to talk about. So to get the opportunity where it was only Gremlins on the table was pretty awesome
0: super rare and really really I that, I loved that about that like that aspect about it and you just sort of realize like that's such an influential movie for us so to be able to ask him about specific scenes and moments throughout it and how they put it together. Kevin. I, mean, I loved Kevin's question about the gremlin and the microwave. Yeah. That's yeah. fantastic. and such a because good story.
1: Because every, everyone that knows that movie just went, ah, oh,
0: because then you know that scene. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. All right, this week's blend game. Uh, we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, it is a hashtag movie poster blend. Uh, this was a very difficult one. And again, thank you so much for you guys on social media for participating. What a wide had, range of reactions, man. Oh, such great ones too. I mean, it, this, this made it, even more hard to choose and so you'll see i kind of went off the board with my pick but you get to go first jake so kick us off with your favorite movie poster
1: i feel like you're gonna groan at mine man i feel like you're gonna
0: kind of roll your eyes a little bit because well I, I made a rule i made my rule was no floating heads. no floating like, heads. i just i think floating heads are lazy yeah floating and by heads floating are lazy. heads i mean like the goodfellas poster which is the three heads you yeah. know at the top that's of an it. iconic and
1: poster then, but i wouldn't necessarily call it a great poster
0: no, I don't even really like as much as I like the Drew Struzman posters, um, the design of them. They're yeah. usually pretty fantastic, but it's still a sort of floating head element within like pieces of the movie around it. So yeah. I steered. Oh, I tend to steer away from those.
1: Yeah. Um. Well, my favorite poster of all time. And, and whenever you pitched this last week, I knew instantly what it was going to be. And there are a couple that I, I kind of went through and I was, like, but maybe. But no, I kept going back to this. It's the Jaws poster.
0: Yeah, no, uh, that, that's I think, it's,
1: that's, you know, that's I fine. think it. For me, it represents. I mean, I remember that being sort of the first poster that I hung up as a kid because Mine the, too. the yeah, because the the movie store down the street, Movie Land. It, I didn't have a chain down the street for me. at a place called Movie Land. Uh, he gave me like his old faded copy of it because he got a new one. So he gave me the one that had been in the window for a while, and I kind of hung it up. I just think that that's such a snapshot of such a terrifying moment. I mean, what you're looking at is the split second before someone dies. Yeah. That that's what that is, and that image. You could show that image without the title, I'd argue, to 95% of people on this planet, probably 99% of people in this country, and say, name the movie, and they'd be able to do it.
0: You could do the silhouette. Yes, just the silhouette.
1: You could describe it, and they would be able to do it. And I, I just remember think,
0: yeah. there was a time when I was interviewing Will Smith for Men in Black, and he was talking about that franchise, and he said the silhouette of the Men in Black was as big as like the silhouette of a Coke bottle around the, around the world, you know, that he went to places that people shouldn't have known him, but they knew the men in black silhouette. And I was like, ah, oh, you know what? That's, and that's so true. If you can advertise yourself with just silhouette, the silhouette of yourself, yes. you're something special. Yeah. And that shark, obviously, yeah. of course. It's, it's, it's.
1: I think it's a beautiful poster. It's a, I mean, it's beautifully drawn, uh, it's it. And it also represents so much more than just that movie. It represents this era of the 70s that that, that was birthed from it. This 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 summer blockbuster. Um, it represents sort of the, the beginning of I mean, you can't have a montage of Spielberg images without having that shark going. And and the girl in the poster isn't. Like a specifically a girl from the movie, right? Right. it's, no, not, it's not the girl I, from the opening be, I scene.
0: I think I think that's supposed to be the girl from the opening scene. But like, that's but that was but
1: that was at night, and this is the the poster is during the day. Yeah, yeah, um, true. So Very it's true. just it's just this it's the shark, and it's just this terrifying image that haunted me. As a kid, I mean, I was, I was way into like this weird, like, you know, like, oh my gosh, she's about to die. And that was like me when I was six. It made no sense. Um, But I I love that poster. It's genuinely, I mean, I I picked it as my, my seventies blend. I picked Jaws. Um, So it's just, it's everything that I want and need a movie poster to be. And I don't think for the rest of my life, I'll love a poster as much as that one.
0: Well, it's also, it speaks to how big we think the shark is, right? Yes. Like, because you can't see the shark beneath the water. (laughs) In your mind, yeah. it's gigantic.
1: It's bigger on the poster than it is in the movie.
0: Oh, of course. And it's supposed to be I, like, I think it's exaggerated for that reason. Right. You know, I, I think that Spielberg wants you to think uh, that that the shark is that big. So, I mean, right. I'm not I'm not mad at you for picking that. That was I'll tell you the truth. I said to Gabe behind the scenes, um, my pick is probably Jaws. But if Jake picks it, tell me because I don't want us to have the same one. And, uh, <laughs> Did he tell you? He told me, yeah, he told damn me. Damn so it, I Gabe! Were, I, I knew you were going in that direction. And I had a couple other ones that I was going to go with anyway um, for this reason. And so I cycled through, Jaws would have been obviously one of them. I shared the the Phantom Menace one too because that really was one for That's me. That's a great
1: either. poster, such a great poster.
0: I'm not even like, I'm not as much of a Star Wars guy as you are. I certainly don't really care for the prequels all that much. But damn if that image doesn't just, yeah I see them, I see them, uh, doesn't, Convey uh the weight of Being Darth Vader you know On that poor kid you know That just, was
1: such a, like, an amazing message This whole never look back thing And, yeah. and why they didn't lean into That in the like when I first saw that I thought Oh my god Phantom Menace is going to be amazing Because they're going to lean into The weight that this kid was Was had on his shoulders that eventually Turned him into Darth Vader like that image Is everything I wanted Episode one to be
0: yeah and And it wasn't unfortunately and it wasn't
1: uh, Just like my dinner.
0: Really quickly <laughs> that I uh, uh, almost went with. Uh, the first imi- the first poster for Alien, the egg oh, God, cracking yeah. with yeah. the green color scheme. Yeah. That's another one where Great I think you can show that picture to anybody. Yeah. yeah. And the tagline. Ooh, like we should it. do
1: tagline blend. Tagline. Yeah, you write boot. that down.
0: Uh, I almost went with The Exorcist. I like posters Ooh. that use scenes yeah. from the movies uh, in particular.
1: Once again, another image that you could show to people and say, what movie is that? And they would know. Yeah,
0: exactly. And you're not even showing Reagan. You know, no. you're not showing the girl. No. It's So uh, that's an iconic scene. These are, of course, all ones that I did not choose. Uh, instead, I went with the poster for The Breakfast Club. Oh, good one. And it's just, it's the way, now, it, it almost violates the floating head theory because it's just the characters. Ah, that's different. But it's the way that they're posed. And again, I think you could, now that's been spoofed numerous times, you know, as people try to do the breakfast club cliche of, of the high school characters playing different things. And they all always assume the pose. You know, they have Molly Ringwald laying down flat. They've got Judd Nelson's in the back. But that, it's the tagline. The tagline essentially sums up, or the the description at the top of the poster sums up everything that is that poster and everything that is that movie that made it the 1980s, which was they only met once, but it changed their lives forever. They were five total strangers with nothing in common, meeting for the first time. A brain, a beauty, a jock, a rebel, and a recluse. Before the day was over, they broke the rules, bared their souls, and touched each other in a way they never dreamed possible. And it's all you needed. Like taglines were a lot longer in the that end. Was, that's a hell of a tagline, man. That's a mouthful. But it's John Hughes. he it's got got like everywhere back in that day. And it's what I love about it is even just seeing them posed there. You know everything about them, you know, Uh, and maybe it's just it's your association to the film. Uh, But I think that that is a seminal poster and a seminal photograph of an outstanding cast. So I went with uh, I went with The Breakfast Club. Now,
1: hi, you'll you'll appreciate the story. I was on uh, I was on a date last week and the song someone drove by and the song uh, Don't You Forget About Me came on. And, you know, I did, like, the, the fist pump in the air. because Like, that's what you do. You hear that song and you got to do, like, the, the freeze sure. frame. Yeah, and yeah. Oh, and no. her response was, like, oh, it's the song from Pitch Perfect. No. And no. I was, like, no. no, Okay. Not only is that wrong, but in Pitch, it's the only reason it's in Pitch Perfect is because he's <laughs> referencing the Breakfast Club. Like, that's the whole point is that he's mad that she hasn't, isn't it like she, he's mad that she hasn't seen the Breakfast Club?
0: uh I, i'm not sure that's I the whole know it thing and then she like and then she, it's oh god all right listen well in tradition of when someone cannot make a show uh gabe asked kevin mccarthy to record his pick for movie poster blend so we will play that right now and so listen the next to it Four
1: hours you will be listening to kevin
0: <laughs> 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 telling you about his favorite movie poster here is kevin mccarthy
3: Hey guys, yeah, I wanted to chime in on the movie poster blend game and this was a tough one because when you, when we first announced it on the show, I was more inclined to go one way and now that i've thought about it i've kind of found a more personal route in regards to my choice but uh you know we've done trailer blend before and one of the trailers that i always bring up that i always loved was face off uh which is where you had a trailer where you start on john travolta's face you spin around um as he's becoming caster troy and it ends on you know travolta's face still but it becomes the voice of Nicolas Cage's character, Caster Troy. So, I actually ultimately, originally decided on—does that even make sense? Ultimately, originally decided on the uh, poster for Face Off because I thought it was cool that it was two—it uh, was two faces combined into one eye in the middle, and that one eye in the middle. I always wondered. Whose eye it actually was I mean I, you could probably look at it closely and tell by the color of the eye uh, I'm trying to remember now the exact or they maybe they blended it together which would be kind of cool but that poster was so simple yet so effective because it explained the entire film genuinely in one cool little image uh, which I thought the marketing on that film was pretty brilliant um, but because these games actually end up having a personal angle to them I decided that I was going to go along with a personal story from mine and this is going to sound strange and probably sound out of left field but when I was in college I think we all experienced this in college uh, where at least at George Mason University there was a poster day they would have every once in a while where they would set up a shop in the main area at George Mason called the Johnson Center. And that's kind of where I actually started first seeing my movies that I would review as a film critic. Uh, so below on the bottom level was like a Johnson Center cinema. And then above that was, uh you know, a common area where they had all a bunch of food and Taco Bell was there, the bookstore that I worked in. And across the hall, there was like this essentially like a store that was that you could it was like a pop-up shop area so people could go in there and put in different types of sellable items whether whether it be computers or books and sometimes they did a poster sale and you know in college when i was in college the the big posters you had on your wall were like fight club uh posters like uh the big lebowski uh but one poster that I'm almost certain I maybe brought from home because I used to work at a movie theater was a poster for a movie called Lord of War and it's simply a picture of Nicolas Cage but his entire face and you know neck area is made out of bullets and shell casings and I just thought it was such a brilliant poster because there are so many different things happening with that poster specifically the The themes of the film The idea of what Nicolas Cage's character Was doing in that movie It's a really underrated movie If you haven't seen it I highly, highly recommend it Um, But it's just a really clever poster Again, not anything particularly brilliant But just more of I like what it says about the film within the poster itself, and anybody who walks by that poster from a distance is just going to see a picture of Nicolas Cage and then the title "Lord of War." But as you get closer to it, you can see the bullet shell casings and the bullets, and like even like his hair is made out of like bullet shell casings. And so, to me, it was just interesting. I thought it was a really clever poster that I of a movie that I didn't think got a lot of recognition, and I that's probably my favorite poster and primarily because it was above my uh, bed in college in my townhouse and I would always show it off when people would come over. Uh, That was a poster of mine that I was very proud of. If I remember correctly, I think I may have gotten it from uh, either that poster store and or when I worked at uh, AMC, but I'm pretty sure it was the poster store because... I don't know why else I would have had it in college at that point. But anyways, I'm rambling. Uh miss you guys and love you guys. I hope you guys are having a great show. And uh, yeah, talk to you guys soon. Dunkirk.
0: The part that I love about Kevin's story is where he brings up those poster galleries that they used to have on college campuses. And that's exactly what you would do. You would go down to that poster gallery, usually in a student center somewhere, and look for a poster that you could hang on the wall. And there were two... Main ones uh, that were prevalent when I was in college. One is uh, John Belushi from Animal House with the college sweatshirt, obviously. And the other one, for some reason, was De Niro in Taxi Driver with the um, mohawk and the army jacket. As terrifying as that image was. That was a huge one uh, for when, and then the year it came out, a lot of people started posting the uh, Usual Suspects poster up on their wall, yeah. which was the line like up- score,
1: I feel like um, Scarface became a pretty Oh, that's another poster. huge
0: one. Yes, that's another yeah. really big one. So, all right. um, Audience picks. Amanda Young picked Apollo 13. Ooh, that great was a poster. great poster. The one that's yeah. just the moon? Yes, yeah, 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 really good one. Um, Clement Bryant picked Inception, which is another really good one. Uh, Danny Gurch and Mac Rowden both chose Silence of the Lambs, which is a really good image. It's iconic with the in, iconic Butterfly image, yeah. on the mouth, yes, and several people, of course, chose Jaws, including uh, Christian Odland, Kalina, and others. Flo, oh, this was a good one, Flo chose Ides of March, which is the- uh, Oh, Gosling the, the George Time Clooney. Magazine, Yes, yeah, the fold, really well done. Yeah. So, um, great, great selection. That's,
1: that's actually one of the few times I brought up because you know, you know, whenever we do the junkets, they yeah. have the posters behind us. That's actually one of the few times I talked about the poster in the junket oh, room because it's cool. such a cool post, and it it's weird how I, I have studied that poster for a, a couple of times actually, trying to figure out whose face did they manipulate to make it match so well because it matches oh, yeah. perfectly, and it both of their faces look right like right, does not right. look like they messed with either of their f- so did, did you clooney- ask him that i'm trying to think because clooney didn't do that junket and uh i think i who did i t- i want to say i talk- he didn't I made do it. that
0: junket didn't he direct it
1: yeah yeah that's clooney- lame clooney stopped doing junkets for a while Huh. He's he's now back doing them, but he stopped doing them for a while.
0: Anyway. He got um, burned after Leatherheads. I remember that. I know yeah. he stopped doing them after Leatherheads. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Because I think his um,
1: mentality was, why am I spending all this time promoting movies that don't do well?
0: Yeah, they don't do well. He's back doing them now, though? He is back doing them. That's good. He's a good interview. When He's a great get
1: interview. He's a great interview.
0: All right. Uh, thank you, everybody, for participating this week and playing along in uh, hashtag... Movie posters Blend. Uh, the reason why we're sharing the hashtags and, and using the full names of people is we're trying to get uh, interaction from like film Twitter. So if you guys are, are playing along and you enjoy playing the blend game too, tag other people. Let other people know that they can participate as well too. We'll end up reading a lot of these choices in the show. The, I, we've said this multiple times, the best marketing that we could potentially have is you guys who enjoy the show uh, telling other people who, who really like it. And if you want a great example of using the poster to get a good answer out of somebody, Tune in next week when we have Joaquin Phoenix telling us an amazing story about shooting the scene uh, in Joker where he's dancing down the stairs. And it really it's, it's it only the way that Joaquin it, can tell. It, I, so. I sent a
1: tease. And and if you don't want me to re- release this part, you can cut it out later. But I sent a tease to someone and I said, Here, here's the tease for the interview. At some point during the conversation, <laughs> someone shouts the phrase, fuck you, Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> and I won't tell. I won't tell you who said it or what the context is, but that phrase was said, and it was one yes. of my favorite interview, favorite moments
0: in the entire interview. It's tune in next week to find out who it was. And while you're at it, appropriately enough, we'll be playing hashtag Joaquin Phoenix blind next
1: week.
3: Now, Gabe,
0: can we use Joker or should we take Joker off the board for it? Yeah, we can use it no don't yes we can use it all right fair enough so we can use joker for hashtag joaquin phoenix blend uh and you all can you know, use Joker there are joker a lot as well of good too, so. man there are a lot oh, of good so many so many even I mean, like her, honestly like we were talking about signs
1: master, like, he's so
0: good in signs signs swing yeah. away merrill bill i think he's great in the village too to be honest the with village you. yeah gladiator yeah. i think oh yeah obviously gladiator do you, re- um, do you remember that movie he was in eight millimeter was he in that that long ago yeah. with Nicolas Cage? With Nicolas Cage, yeah. Cause everyone thought Dear it was gonna be like the Lord. new
1: seven and it was like this really like dirty, like you want to like take it a shower really, after. Remember how yeah, weird, it was, it was all really snuck? <laughs> it's a great premise. Yeah, but the movie is not great.
0: Well, we'll we'll get into uh, hashtag Joaquin Phoenix Blend next week. You guys can let us know on social media what your picks are. Use hashtag Joaquin phoenix blend, just follow us. Uh, on social media at, at Real Blend, um, you can also send your picks to Real Blend at cinemablend.com. You can follow the the guys in particular on social media. Jake is at at Jake's Takes, Kevin is at at Kevin McCarthy TV, and I'm at Sean underscore O'Connell. Go to Real Blend on Friday where I promise you we'll be posting uh, the next weekly poll and you guys can vote in it and then we'll discuss the results next week. And of course, drop us a review on iTunes and we will potentially read it at the very top of next week's show. You can also send us that review to RealBlend at Cinemablend.com. Uh Next week, we're going to have the Joaquin Phoenix interview. Please let us know what you thought. It's really good. It's it's a ton of fun. We got 30 minutes with him. And, um, you know, we thought he might be a little touch and go and he wasn't in the least bit. We ended up having a really good time with us. Um, But I was going to say, tell us what you thought about the Joe Dante interview, because if you guys enjoyed that, if you enjoyed us going into uh, a deeper dive on an old film... We kind of want to know that if that's something you guys want us to pursue because we enjoyed it, and I think you guys will probably dig that conversation. So let us know uh, via social media or send us an email. And again, what uh, if we get a bunch of reactions, I was like, "No, that sucked." Yeah, that sucked. Well, then we'll stop doing it. <laughs> <laughs> like, we, get, we get
1: Zemeckis for Back to the Future, and we're like, "Nah, man, <laughs> oh, can't do oh, it." Wait a second, that'd be pretty great. Actually. Is there an anniversary of that? We need to start looking at anniversaries. That that seems yeah. to be the way to do it.
0: Oh, I want to get McTiernan to talk about the first Die Hard. Can we do that? That'd be great. All right, anyway, these are ideas. Yes, Gabe's telling us to wrap it up. Do we still yell Dunkirk if Kevin's not here?
1: No, Dunkirk. It just doesn't feel the same. Can can we shout the name of our favorite Nolan movie? The Dark Knight! No, if I've learned anything, it's that if we break tradition, people go
0: freaking nuts. The Prestige! (laughs) That was lame. No? All right, Dunkirk. Three, two, one. Dunkirk! Dunkirk! doesn't feel right. If you break tradition, people go nuts. (laughs) This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand.